0: Have you ever missed an opportunity? Maybe a few. Perhaps you rejected an invitation. Maybe you were too tired or too distracted to accept. Maybe you're just too preoccupied with your responsibilities and duties. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Perhaps an opportunity to be kind, to be forgiving, to be grace filled to be loving, to be humble and patient. Well, if you have, you're in good company. I missed many of those opportunities this week. And I regret it. And I know you've missed opportunities and regret it as well. One of those missed opportunities in my life, in not a real serious way, is that when I was 16 years old, My older cousin invited me to go to U2's Zoo TV concert in Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Zoo TV concert, but you should because it just happened to be the greatest concert ever to happen on this earth. And it transformed how all concerts have been done since that time. I mean, at that time, you're like, oh, that doesn't look very technology advanced. But there were no concerts before that that actually had TVs in the magnitude they have. And this is 1991, just put that in perspective of you. And I was a gigantic YouTube fan. My parents, this was a school night. Vancouver, British Columbia, is three hours away from my home. Concerts go late in the night. My parents said, yeah, you can go. And you know what I said? No. You know why? Because I was too worried about missing school and the work that I would have to make up. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was a moment and an opportunity I cannot get back. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched this concert over and over and over again. Now, that moment may seem... uh, superficial to you and not super significant, well, you'd be wrong. (laughs) No, no, you're right. It would be. It it would have been a great experience for me. I've been to many, many, many U2 concerts since then, because I will never miss that opportunity again. But this this moment and this opportunity didn't have eternal consequence. There are opportunities in our lives, day in and day out, that have eternal consequences consequences. There are some opportunities that if we miss, it will be a soul-crushing regret. This is the opportunity that Jesus puts us before today and every day of our life. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? How do you relate to him? Will you trust him? Will you demonstrate his kindness and his love today? This is the opportunity which Jesus talks about in this passage, and this is the opportunity he presents us today. Let's turn to John 7, 25-36 and see our opportunity. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. I just want you to understand the context once again, because we can miss it in John. Jesus is once again, he's still in the temple court. It's still at the festival of booths. This is an important high holiday in which everyone is gathered. And he is in the temple court, just like other rabbis. And he's preaching and he's teaching and he's gathering people. And they're saying, man, the authorities are just letting them speak. They must think he's the Christ. They must think he's the mess- Messiah, the, the Savior. And so they have this idea and concept that, that a Messiah would come and save them from their oppressor. This is the opportunity for him. Maybe he is it. The lack of action by the Jews is always like, well, they must think he is. Because if if they knew he wasn't, they would shut him down. They would make him be quiet. But yet, also the other pull with them is there is a common rabbinic tradition that the Messiah wouldn't be known until salvation was to be had. Until the overthrow was to be, it would be taken upon. Like it wouldn't just, it would just, he would just pop up and like, there he is. He wouldn't come. And so the problem with the Jesus, like they know who he is. He's been preaching and teaching for several years now. This is close to the moment when he goes to the cross. And so he's been preaching, teaching. They know who he is, they know where he's from. And so in their minds, like, man, maybe they think he's Messiah because they won't shut him down. But also, like, how can he be the Messiah? Because we know who he is. We know where he's from. And so they're torn. They're grappling with this opportunity. Is he the Messiah? Is he not? goes on in verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed, right? He, he is preaching loudly in the temple. This is not a soft conversation. He's proclaimed as he taught in the temple. You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. He says, yes, this is true. He's like reading their thoughts. You know where I'm from. You know where I'm from in this world. You know where my my mom and my father, you know where they're from. You know where I come from, Nazareth. And then he says, listen, I want you to hear this really important. It says God is true, but a better way I want you to understand it is He said God is real. He's real. And for for the Israelites, they understood this. This is something that they grasped. They they took great pride in that they knew the one true God. All the other people in the world, all the other people were Gentiles. And their gods, their idols were false wooden things. But they had the living God, the true God. And so they took great pride in that they knew God. And Jesus is saying right in this passage, clearly proclaiming in the temple... This is how you would paraphrase it. He's saying, God is real and you do not know him. In the temple, those are not, those are not easy words to be spoken, they're not easy words to hear. These are hard truths that's going to get Jesus in trouble. He so said, That which you take pride in and you think you know God. And here I am in the place where you go to worship him. In the place where you say he rests his feet, which is where the temple is on the earth. He says, God is real. You just don't know the living God. You don't know the true God. You are just like the rest of the Gentiles and the rest of the world. Wow. You can imagine things pick up from here. This is abrasive, hard language. And Jesus goes on more to say that He says, not only do you not know him, but I know him. And he sent me. I come from him. You think you know where I'm from, but I come from God. I come from the Father. And John 8, 19, he hits it home. Then they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you, neither know, you know neither me nor my father if you knew me you would know my father also right he says once again he's saying you don't know god and you don't know me we are one and the same in john 10:30 i and the father are one if you want to know god you would know me you would know me and you don't know him jesus in many ways is answering the question Like this doubt, you know, the before they're saying, maybe he's the Messiah because they're not shutting him down. But he can't be the Messiah because we know where he's from. He's like, yeah, you're right. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know where I'm from. This is an unexpected messianic appearance in which they do not know. And they will not know until after the fact. It goes on in verse 30. So they, who's the they? The Jewish authorities. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And we've been talking about that. And Jesus has used this term before this hour has not come, this, this Kairos moment, this, this moment that is, is predestined by God, this, this integrated moment in history. He says, It's not my time, so I'm not going to get arrested. I want to take a little—I know Jody talked about election—you talked about election to this day, right? Sort of? Eh, all right, all right. I thought Jody was going to talk about election, but I want to talk about a little bit this hour. He's like, there's, there's something going on in this passage and in John about the providence of God, that God has a plan. I want, when you think of the providence of God, I want you to think God has a plan and he has a will. And the thing about God's will—we all have wills, right? You all make decisions. yes. Shake your head, please, that you all make decisions. You're not robots, right? And we all have these wills. But the thing about God's will compared to our will is that what God wills will happen. It's just, it just like, well, maybe this will happen. No, God wills it, and it will happen. You and I have a will, and sometimes we can make it happen. Or sometimes we, there's lots of other things that have to happen to make it happen. But sometimes we're just kind of hoping. And sometimes there's a lot of things I will does not happen at all. I'm a father. Well, I have a lot of will for my children. Doesn't always happen. I'm sure they have a lot of will for their father as well. It doesn't always happen as well. So that's the difference. The difference is God wills it. It's happened. And that's the providence of God. He has a plan and he has a will. That's what I want you to think of providence. This is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about the providence of God and. Chapter 5, verses 2, What's from Mr. I'm sure you can open up your pocket one and read this along with me. It says, God is the first cause, and in relation to him, everything happens unchangeably and infallibly. So, God is the cause of all things. In a sense, it's a permissive will that he allows all things to happen unchangeably, does not change, and infallibly. Like, there's no error in this plan. He has a plan, and it's going without error. However, by this same providence, the same plan, and the same will, he orders things to happen from secondary causes. As a result of these secondary causes, some things must inevitably happen. Others may or may not happen, depending on the voluntary intentions of the agents involved And some things do not have to happen, but may, depending on other conditions. Whoa, what just happened there? Here's what I want you to hear. You and I are the secondary causes, in case it wasn't clear. We are the voluntary agents that make decisions. And what this is saying is that you and I make decisions and wills and plans all the time. Sometimes we can have them to happen. Sometimes we can't. But here's the thing. God is the primary cause and the ordinary way in which he enacts his will is through all of our decisions. Now, I can barely handle my will and decision. God is infinite and he can understand and order all of our wills to enact his plan. And I wanted you to hear this that there is movement in his plan in the sense that he has a definite plan and goal. But at sometimes the plan is, it may or may not happen on certain things. Certain things may or may not happen. And oftentimes, this is how prophecy works. In the Old Testament, a prophet comes down and says, if you do this, this will happen. If you do not do this, this will happen. It's not this will happen. There is order, the primary cause given to the secondary agents, you and I, in our will. It goes on to say in chapter in, uh, paragraph three, God uses ordinary means, you and I, to work out his providence day by day. But as he pleases he may work without beyond or contrary to these means see the ordinary way he works is through all our wills on this planet but there are times in which god supernaturally works to make sure that his will happens and he has that ability to do that so it's not saying that god just says okay i create your wills let's see what happens no no he has a plan he's orchestrating all our wills to make his plan Happen, And you're going to see that happen here in this moment in this passage, because as you as you begin to see what he's just done here in the province, of God, as he's been leading up through John. What is the first thing? First thing Jesus is like, I'm not going to Jerusalem. Right. And then I'm going incognito. And then he actually publicly appears. And then when he publicly appears, what happens? He says, you don't know God. In the temple, and you don't know me. I know him. What's about to happen? Well, they want to arrest him now. Jesus has just set up the motions and the motive for why they want to arrest him. More than that, to why they want to kill him. In a harsh way, you can say Jesus has now manipulated all their wills to come after him and to put him on the cross, in which he has a plan in which that cross will save humanity. Then you begin to understand. But at this moment, they don't arrest him because the hour is not here. God's providence and plan is not here. It doesn't even tell you how he escapes the arrest, it just says he's not arrested. Just once you begin to see the providence of plan of God and why Jesus perhaps says the things that he says. Not solely do we know them, but also to orchestrate his plan and his providence. It goes on in verse 31 and 32. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs as this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest them. Right? So now you see this, that the arrest warrant has been issued for Jesus. And this will happen through the end of the gospel. That they are about, they're out to get them. In the midst of this, you see this crowd waffling back and forth still. Maybe this still is, this is the Christ. Someone actually is swaying more to believing it now. But that belief is not this, like, the belief that you and I have that we trust in who Jesus is. You can see what it's wavering on, isn't it? Look at all the things that he does. Look at all the signs and the miracles. Surely no one else could do those things. He must be the Messiah then. That is not how our faith and our trust is established in Jesus. We trust in him for who he is, not what he does. And Jesus is very clear with his miracles. That's why he pulls back a lot of his miracles in the gospel. Because all he does is perform his miracles so that you begin to understand his authority and power and who he is. But he really wants to know, this is who I am. The authorities and Sanhedrin issue the arrest warrant, but of course it's not his time. And here comes the missed opportunity. In verses 33-34, Jesus said to them, I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. I want you to hear that again. I, you will seek me and you will not find me. I'm going to be here for a little bit and then I'm going You're going to seek me and you can't find me because you can't go where I'm going. This is a word of judgment. This is a word of a missed opportunity. This is a word of providence to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders and authorities in general, not to all of them. It says you will have an opportunity. You have an opportunity right now to seek and to find God. Me, You have an opportunity to know God, the God in which you do not know. But in a moment, that opportunity is going to be gone. In a moment, I'm going to return to the Father. I'm going to return back to God. And you cannot go where I'm going. You can't be with me and the Father. That's a harsh word. You can't can't live in the resurrection. You can't live forever and ever with me and God. Now we know some of those religious leaders turn. We know Nicodemus eventually comes back. But in many ways, Jesus has set up that they are going to deny him. This providence of God. They're going to arrest him. They're going to ask for his crucifixion. They're going to condemn him. And that's the providence of God. There is judgment. You will seek me, and you will not find me. You will have no relationship with me. You will have no relationship with God. You don't know me, and you don't know him. He makes this quite clear, this point, later on in the gospel, in John 8, 21, 23. He said, so he said to them, the religious leaders, the Jews, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said, that he, and then Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from below. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Now when he says below, he's not talking about, don't think about hell. He's like, you are of this world. You are separated from the Father. I am with the Father. The Father and I are one. This is a clear condemnation for their rejection and their murderous intent of him, our Lord. I want you to compare these words, I will be with you a little longer, and the way it says, you can't come where I'm going to, how he says it to the 12 at the last Supper to his apostles when he gathers them on the eve of his crucifixion and arrest. John 13, 33. He says to them, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So now I will also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. That sounds like that's almost the same thing, isn't it? But he says it at the eve of the cross. This is, a, this is a different thing. He clarifies it later on in John when he's talking to the Jews. You cannot come to the Father. He's talking about a different place. You cannot be with me and the Father. Your opportunity is missed. For his 12, he says, you can't come. And what he's talking about there is you can't go to the cross. This is my task. Now, they have no idea what he, like, what's going on. But this is how he's referring. You can't come to the cross. This is my task and my task alone. And Jesus offers them an opportunity. He goes on the next, the next verse it says is is his love commandment to them. Love your neighbor. Love as I love. This is this is how we get Monday Thursday this this new mandate. You see, the opportunity which Jesus is providing through all the world, even to the Sanhedrin in this moment before, it says, why I'm with you. It's this John three fourteen through 15 that Jesus offers this moment. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And and this is referencing the the moment in, in the book of Numbers when the Israelites are in the wilderness and they disobey God and they grumble about God's provision. And what does God do? He punishes them and he sends snakes to kill them. But he offers grace and mercy. And it's a strange story. It is a very strange story. And it says, this is all that you need to do to repent of your sins. Moses is going to hold up a, a staff, and it's going to be, have a snake on it. And all you have to do is look up to that, and you will be healed from those snake bites. All you have to do is look up. This is grace and mercy. All you have to do is trust in my words, and that I will save you. The issue before is they aren't trusting his provision. All you have to do is trust. And of course, this is what he's pointing to the cross. All you have to do in your life is to trust God. We've been talking about that. We just talked about this morning in high school with sin, what sin is. And ultimately, sin is the condition of not trusting God. And then we have all these symptoms of all the things that we do, sins that are a result of this action, not trusting God. And all God is saying, trust in me. Trust that I'm going to give you an opportunity to look at me. And Jesus says, right here, Brother Sandrington, you have this moment right now, and then you're going to lose it, and then you cannot come. To the 12, he says, You can't come to the cross. You can't die for sins. That's my task. All you have to do is trust me. And then you get to be where I'm at. And where is Jesus? With his Father. You get to be in restored relationship with the Father. Our God is not hiding from us. I want you to hear that very clearly. God wasn't hiding from the Sanhedrin or the Jewish religious authorities. In fact, Jesus pronounced it right in the temple for all to hear. I and the Father are one. You don't know God. You don't know me. But you can. You have this opportunity. We, we read it. We were saying it this morning, right? The goodness of God is pursuing I don't even know what the lyrics were. It's pursuing us, running after us, right? This is, this is who God is. God doesn't just stay hidden. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm over here. He goes after us and gives us an opportunity. Every day of our life, God is pursuing us. Every day of your life, the goodness of God is revealing it. Do you have the eyes to see it? Do you have the eyes and the heart and the mind to comprehend it and hold on to it? In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says, Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and it'll be fine. Knock and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be open. The thing is that Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'll be over here and come and ask. That's not what he's doing. He's just, a, I'm going to get in your face as much as possible. And all you got to do is look to me. All you got to do is trust me. Just like that staff in the wilderness to the Israelites. If you ask, if you seek, if you trust, we're in this together. I've got you. This is not a God that stays hidden. This is a God that runs after us over and over again. He won't even stay hidden to the Sanhedrin. I do not know how long your opportunity will last. I don't know how long. I don't know the the number of days that you will last on this earth. No one knows except God what I do know quite clear in Scripture is that every breath and every moment and every day is an opportunity. Every day and every moment is an opportunity to look to Jesus. Now, I'm not, don't, don't hear me and say like, oh, if you look to Jesus one day and they don't look, or like, yeah, we up and down, right? I got it. I go many days, many days, not looking to him. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. Doesn't mean he doesn't know me. It means he's working on me. I got a lot of work to do. Every day an opportunity is for you for the first time to trust him and then every opportunity is to begin to live out and trust him more and more and more. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste this moment. You have the opportunity now to say, I love you, Jesus. You have this opportunity to tell that I trust you and I will follow you. I don't know what you will have for me tomorrow. But I know I can trust you. And I know God is good. I don't care what age you're at. You can trust Jesus. I don't, I don't Like six-month-old, they can trust Jesus in their own way. I don't know how they do it. They can trust Jesus in their own way. If you're 96, you can trust Jesus. But there's an opportunity for us every day. And it's really, as for those that are really younger, it puts an opportunity to us as parents to help them to turn to trust Jesus. Now, you know, as parents, that you can't will anyone to trust Jesus. You have an opportunity trust jesus megan hill who's the, um rob hill's wife over at uh, west springfield covenant community church she writes for the gospel coalition and she did this great piece on philippians 3 1 i don't know if you read it or not but you'll know, check it out search out philippians 3 1 megan hill gospel coalition but she wrote this piece and this is this on the simple little verse in philippians it says paul says finally my brothers rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Paul, I don't know if, as she puts it on, as a parent, she has to repeat things over and over and over again to her kids. Pick that up. Brush your teeth. You know, nightly things that I say over and over again. And, and Paul's saying, look, it, I have to repeat the gospel to you guys over and over again. And I want you to understand that it's no trouble for me to repeat that gospel to you over and over again. It's no trouble for me to repeat the good news of who Jesus is to you over and over again. It's no trouble because it's safe for you. It's good for you. It's your security. It's your opportunity to actually turn to him. It's why we talk about it at this church, we want to repeat the good news over and over and make it crystal clear every day. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear that you have an opportunity today to say, I trust you, Jesus. Jesus whether you have said it before, whether you have never said it, that this is an opportunity to trust in Him. Don't miss your opportunity. Man, we can miss silly opportunities like a Zoo TV concert, but this opportunity, this is eternal consequences. This will be one that will be a soul-crushing regret. That one day, Jesus will look to us. I don't know you. I don't know you. Jesus loves you. He adores you. And he is pursuing and revealing himself to you anew every day. And he's doing it again today. Turn to him. Seek him. And you will find him. You will Find him. And then if you've done that today, tell someone. Tell someone. Tell me. Don't keep that hidden. Come reach me. Text it to that 299-2100. I'll reach out to you if you don't want to come up to me. You don't want to come up to one of the elders or someone else here. Tell someone. I don't know if you're going to have this opportunity tomorrow. I don't even know if you'll have tomorrow. But I do know the one who actually holds this opportunity, holds the number of days, and holds whether you have tomorrow or not. And here's the thing. If you trust him, you'll have a forever tomorrows. They'll never end. Let Jesus be the one that holds you today not just tomorrow, but holds you today. Who do you say Jesus is? How do you relate to him? And will you trust him today? In all things, for all things. Let's pray. Gracious Father, loving Son and guiding Holy Spirit, Lord, I ask for your presence today. renew all of our hearts to pull us for the first time to you to to enact your providence in our lives Lord to to pull our hearts that have wandered away that are prone to wander each and every day draw us to you and see that you are the God that has been running after us and in our brokenness and our unkindness and our impatience and our anger turn our hearts back to you. Turn our hearts to, to love you and to love our brothers and sisters and to love our neighbors, to love them enough to make sure that they have the opportunity to see that you are running to them. I thank you that you are a God of opportunities, that you are a God of today, tomorrow, and forever. That you are the living God. And that we can know you. We praise you. We praise this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's children said, amen.